0: Welcome to the Big Deal with Glenn Ferris, episode 62. Today I've got Ren Baker, the University of North Texas Vice President and Director of Athletics, in the hot seat talking about how his organization has been adapting and pivoting in response to the pandemic. It is a fascinating conversation because we start way back in March when the NCAA basketball tournament was canceled. And we bring it right up to how the Mean Green has gotten back to a full football season this fall. We talk about what the experience will be for the athletes, for the fans, and why the UNT Athletics Department and its success is important not just to the university, but for our whole city. And he's got such a well-thought-out and balanced, down-to-earth approach to all these subjects. You will not want to miss this one. Go check out MeanGreenSports.com for tickets, tickets, UNT takes on the SMU ponies here in Ditton this Saturday, September 19th. The kickoff is at 5 p.m. And if you can't get tickets, tune in to the masterfully put together broadcast on KNT 88one or the TuneIn radio app. Dave Barnett and Hank Dickinson do such a great job. It's one of my favorite things to listen to on a Saturday morning or afternoon. While you're there, go ahead and check out glennferriscommercial.com. Go ahead and follow me. At Glenn Ferris on the social medias. Get after it. Also, tune in to the Denton Chamber of Commerce's Facebook page. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m., I'll be moderating the City Council forums. Uh, this week, we've got the candidates for Place Five. They're in the hot seat. And uh, the, this past week, we posted District Two. Uh, great conversations. It really gives you an insight into the candidates you're going to be voting for in November just what they're all about, highly recommend going and checking out those videos. They'll be on the Chamber of Commerce's Facebook page. I hope you find this podcast helpful, and if you do, get on your podcast subscriber, whether it's Apple Pods or Spotify or Overcast, and subscribe to it. Tell your friends about it. Impress them. Thanks for listening. Now give it up for Ren Baker. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're uh, you're pretty busy, as The athletic director of UNT.
1: It has <laughs> been. Uh, it's always a busy job, but it's been particularly busy uh, the last few months as we've as we've tried to uh, wrap our minds around COVID and the changes that that's made, um, not only to our revenues and expenses, but but the game day uh, environment. Uh, so I've also uh, I'm a father of two young girls, so my free time is spent the nine-year-old and five-year-old so oh, man it's uh it's it's busy but that you know what they say being busy keeps you out of trouble
0: that's a lot of fun uh ours is coming up on four months and every day is like a new exciting thing you know because we're like at the incremental you know development it's, you know it's uh, awesome
1: yeah so my wife when we had our first um She was working, and Mm -hmm. uh, she never wanted to really uh, stay at home. But uh, we were transitioning to a different job. So I said, you know, you ought to just see what staying at home is like. And um, what she would tell you uh, is she misses work. She missed very much that social interaction. But that once you get a taste for seeing those developments every day, dropping your child off and giving somebody else the opportunity is – if she had never known, she'd been fine. But she was like, I could never do that every day now. Yeah,
0: the best part of my day is getting home. Little critters, hanging out, smiling his head off at me. It's awesome. Well, I, I got to get the elephant in the room talked about almost immediately. And this is a question that I think has been on a ton of people's minds. You got some conferences not planned at all. Uh, I read this morning there are some plans to maybe get back after Thanksgiving possibly. But the conference USA has decided to figure out how to make the best of a bad situation. What's the difference in conferences from your perspective? Like what, what makes it okay for CUSA and other people have made the decision not to. It's
1: a great question. Um, I think all of us have tried to do everything we could to get all the information that we could, Uh, a couple of misconceptions that I'll clear up. And that is, um, anyone who would think, that at least in Conference USA, that uh, we're plowing ahead despite all of these uh, potential uh, pitfalls because of the money. For us, the reality is with a 25% uh, capacity uh, and the increased expenses from testing three times a week and all the other COVID measures, it's going to cost us more to play. So it really becomes about um, we have a group of young student athletes who work very, very hard. Uh, They care very deeply about their sport. It's a big part of their life. It's not just a game to them. And, um, you know, we felt a responsibility to give them opportunities if we could do so safely. And it wasn't until late. And I think what happened with those other conferences and and one of them, the Pac-12 has even come out and said, we probably made the decision too early. And uh, I think there's members of the Big Ten that said that we were all committed to just hang in there as long as we could to get as much data as we could and it was only in the last four to six weeks that we could wrap our minds around and get and get better information on testing and on what needed to happen to to not worry about the myocarditis that you've probably read about some and so um once we we got good information there and and felt like we had enough access to testing to test three times a week basically every 48 hours because we take one day a week off um, then, then we said, okay, we, we can make this happen and we can do it safely. I, I tell people once I had that information, if I, if my two young girls were college, uh, soccer players or whatever the case may be, volleyball, um, I would have looked them in the eye and said, 100%, I think you should play. It's safe to play. And once you get, once you get there, then you can make the decisions to move forward. And I think probably what happened is some conferences just weren't comfortable waiting as long as we waited and and if they had the information that we had today two or three months ago i think they'd still be playing
0: so how many students total or athletes are getting tested three times a week
1: right now it's just our football uh players okay got it uh because uh now everybody's being tested once a week but because football is the one that's competing this fall full schedule uh, during competition weeks we do those three tests so we come in we test on a sunday then we do a midweek test and then we test uh 24 to 48 hours before competition gotcha and so um what doctors have told us is testing that frequently the the time that you could tra- transmit you could be a transmitter of covid and we wouldn't have identified it is very very small if if not close to non existence so Uh, that keeps we feel like uh, a little bubble around our team yeah Uh, and uh, if they press especially if they're practicing the the other measures six feet distancing uh, masking uh, when in public then then we feel very confident about it
0: yeah and it gets you on the road i mean that's kind of the thing is there's a risk to every there's a risk to getting on the road literally metaphorically uh you do what you can to mitigate the risks because it's worth moving getting on the road you got to got to move forward because like you said this is important for the students one of the things i was thinking about as i was preparing for this was you know th- th- there's some jobs that require uh leadership that you need a leadership background to get into and that, like e- even if you don't go the pro route like you know college athletics is a great program to get that sort of leadership skill so it's important not just for the people going pro but for I mean everybody in the program to to get the experience that they came to college for, you know.
1: Yeah, and you know if you if you punt on the season, uh, metaphorically speaking.
0: Yeah, football ball metaphor right yeah, there. Um,
1: at some point, so the NCAA has kind of said, well, this year's not going to count from an eligibility perspective. So you get four years to play, and you have a clock that's running, and they're they're saying that this year is not going to count. But but if assuming that you get multiple of those years and universities, really all businesses, but universities are going through some very difficult financial times. Athletic departments are going through some difficult financial times. So what the NCAA did with spring sports is they said, okay, we're not in count this year against you. And if you stay at your institution, if that means that they go over their scholarship limits, they don't have to count that, but you have to fund it. And you know, those scholarships are, $30,000 $30,000
0: plus a piece and so that's right I didn't even think about the scholarships. Yeah. Wow. And, so, yeah. and
1: so the longer that and, and, and where we started to wrap our mind around is in March we felt like come August this will be over. Yeah. And now we're telling ourselves well come November December we're going to have a vaccine this will be over. Nobody can tell you when it's going to be over for yeah. sure. We yeah. could very well be dealing with this a year from now. And so by staying just hung in neutral at some point that backlogs those scholarships and you, we don't have the money to over scholarship. And so you run into this situation where kids somewhere along the way are being denied opportunities and being denied scholarships. You know, if I had a a student athlete in the class of 21 coming up, I'd be very concerned that they're going to be able to find, you know, an opportunity because people aren't going to have the money and they're going to take care of the kids that are already there first, the student athletes that are already in their program. So, um, Hmm. That's part of the logic and reason, you know, with moving forward and trying to uh, provide those opportunities is at some point, if you don't, you're taking opportunities from somebody, either your current student athletes or the future ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, there've got to be some seniors that are looking at a program they want to get into that. Like you said, there may not be the scholarship money if this thing goes on too long. Correct. That, man, that's an interesting point. Well, take us back to March. Take us back to the moment you realized this was going to be a big deal. This wasn't just a, a hurricane that was going to blow over. This was a typhoon that was going to be here f- for a while. When did you realize that? What was that like?
1: You know, um, I'm an I'm a optimist by nature. And I think most days uh, with this job, that's a very positive attribute to have. When it comes to COVID, there were some articles leading up to conference tournaments that, hey, conferences are going to have to cancel these because they were, COVID was starting to really outbreak. And, um, I was like, there's, we're not canceling. We're going to be fine. Um, you know, we will, you know, and so we get into the conference tournament and a couple of leagues canceled, but it was like the Ivy league, you know, yeah. <laughs> places that, that are, uh, their mission's a little bit different. And so, um, I think the, the moment that I realized, oh wow this is our seasons in jeopardy uh was i got home from the first day of the conference tournament in frisco yeah um turned on the tv the uh, nba game was on the jazz and and thunder and the rudy gobert incident and when that happened i'm like yeah we'll be done tomorrow yeah (laughs) i mean i was just watching that in real time thinking there's no way you know just seeing them stop that game and in the to, middle of the yeah, game, yeah, they
0: just thought that, like, when does that ever happen?
1: Never. And they took the players off the floor. And uh, I think that was the first time. But even then, I thought, well, we'll get this figured out. We'll just have no fans for the NCAA tournament. And uh, and I remember talking to Coach McCaslin. And as, as you know, we had an wa- absolutely terrific basketball season. Crazy uh, season. Uh, yeah. We yeah. won the league, um, was, was expected to win the conference championship and go to the NCAA tournament. And so that Friday, Everything got canceled on Thursday. That Friday, Coach McCaslin calls me, says, "Is there any chance they cancel NCAA tournament?" I said, "No way." <laughs> no like way. the whole NCAA is funded off the tournament. The NCAA, the organization, doesn't make anything off football. Yeah. The conferences do. The NCAA's entire budget uh, comes from the NCAA basketball
0: yeah. tournament. So, yeah, they're not going so like, to
1: play this tournament. Like, there's no way they can't. Like, and um, two hours later, uh, it, it, I'm like, uh, they just canceled. <laughs> So, um, so I called him. I went over to the super pit. His team was actually there. Yeah. Um, of course, we're not socially distanced or unmasked. We're all hugging each other because we don't really understand what this is even about at this point. Yeah. Uh, and so they were very hurt, but he did an unbelievable job of quickly wrapping their minds around, um, really having an attitude of gratitude and all the things we had to be thankful for. We won a championship and we won it on our home. We cinched in our home court and we blew confetti and we had trophy presentation and, um, and you know, how many, te- how many team seasons ended and they didn't get those moments. Yeah. And so um, it was, it was cool to kind of watch him with this team uh, change the narrative with them because they were hurting and I'm sure they still hurt for a few days, but, uh, but it, it was amazing how, rapidly everything was uh it I I tell people I remember and everybody does nine eleven where they were and you see one plane crash and then the other and then one tower falls and then the, you know and you're just watching this and you're yeah. like, oh can't my God, like it. this can't get worse. Yeah. Uh and, and in some ways that that was like that was drawn out over three or four days, you know, and right. you're just like, yeah. oh th- we're done. Let's figure out the next step. And it's like, oh no, there's another A big catastrophe coming, so um, you know, and that's not at all to compare loss of life, and you know, but it was was a similar, yeah, similar sitting in the leadership position watching those things happen.
0: Man, that that is just wild to hear that. Um, So uh, the dust kind of settles from that initial. All right, we're shutting it down. How do you start forming the idea to regroup and recalibrate? And move forward uh, into into a football. Like when did you realize we may not have football? Because that that must have occurred some sometime between yeah. March and last weekend.
1: <laughs> you know, I remember back sometime mid to late spring. Kirk uh, Herb Street, who's uh, who's on one of the main voices on ESPN college football voices, he said or tweeted something along the lines of this could still be going at football. We we may not have a football season. And I remember everybody just crushed him. (laughs) I mean, and like I remember thinking like, why would you say something like that? Even if that's true, like, you know, like that doesn't do us any good to be talking about that right now. You know, I mean, we need to stay positive and stay focused here. There's too many unknowns, you know, between now and then. And, um, and you know, I would say as we got into late June – Early July, I started to wonder, like, yeah, we may not get this in. And as we got into mid to late July, I would have bet the farm that we weren't going to have a season. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and really, it, it come down to we had a series of meetings, kind of that very end of July, 1st of August time frame. And everybody had to put their cards on the table. Do you have access to testing? Um, And can you afford it? And do you have access to all of these heart screenings? So basically, if anybody tests positive, whether it's the antibody test, which we give everybody an antibody test when they first come back, or the weekly, we do one PCR, and then we do two antigen tests. If you test positive for any of those, before you can return, you have to get... Uh, past your COVID period, which is two weeks. Then you have to pass an EKG and ECG, the blood work. And if any of those show any issues, you have to get a heart MRI.
0: Yeah. And that's for the, what you mentioned before. Myocarditis. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And because in the middle of all this, there was a study done in, I believe it was Germany, but it's a foreign country that came out and said, Hey, COVID is really bad for myocarditis, which is basically inflammation and damage to the heart. Now, what our heart doctors have said, the the people who are advising the conference, they've said uh, that study was fifty years old and older individuals, most of which had other comorbidities. So it isn't necessarily applicable to young, healthy, particularly healthy, um, right, you know, right. college yeah. college athletes. Um, so, but, but regardless of what you know and don't know, if you're doing all of the screenings, they would detect myocarditis, uh, especially the blood work. And then that going into the MRI, because anytime the heart is damaged, it releases certain chemicals into your, into the blood. And so once we got to a place where we had a good plan around that, which is all very expensive, seven figures expensive, uh, to, to make all, pull all this together. Um, but once we've, we had a plan to do that very quickly, Uh, it turned towards, okay, now we got to make this happen. And I'll never forget our staff. We had been expecting all along to be at 50% capacity. And that's where the governor's mandate stands. Even today, we got word, um, that the governor would prefer that we were at 25%. Mm. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we quickly had to pivot from 50 to 25 and our, and, and, um, all that's been done really in the last three or four weeks as we were leading up to the season
0: yeah yeah and i think that's the biggest that's probably the hardest pill to swallow for most people is that it's changing all the time so my wife's a teacher over here at calhoun middle school they had uh in person students show up today literally no one knew what was really going to happen up until about 48 hours ago yeah just because it was changing all the time and as, so multiply that by, you know, you know, a million, and that's kind of your situation is not knowing what it's going to be when we, when it's actually game time and we actually got to pull this off. But actually the, uh, for you, it's before that, that when do the students come back to start training, uh, with the team? When does yeah, that
1: happen? We had, um, some student athletes coming back as early as June.
0: Oh, okay. Um yeah.
1: and we would bring them back one team at a time. Yeah. Um and and give them an initial test for COVID. And then we would do um at first we were doing the surveillance testing, twenty five percent of the roster each week. What's that? Um basically just if you pull twenty five percent of the roster in, it kind of gives you a sense do you have oh, okay. a gotcha. you know, do you yeah. have a big problem? Gotcha. Um and at the time that was that was the gold standard what everybody was recommending uh and then um as you started to worry about the myocarditis issue in asymptomatic people which is uh, you know as far as we know is unusual but again because COVID's new there hasn't been a lot of studies done so you can't assume you know anything and so uh then we started testing um everybody weekly and then that then that's ramped up to three times a week during competition weeks mainly because now you're involving a lot more um, potential factors because you're introducing another team into your community, and you yeah. both have responsibility to the, to each other to not bring. If, if you've got a fairly COVID-free environment, to not bring it in and transmit it to 15, 20 people during a game. Yeah, and so you know that that makes it uh, that made it uh, more challenging. But um, I feel like we've been able to get there.
0: So does the conference have guidelines that they're putting out? They they must have a a borders. They, they have some system that they're getting their guidelines and then passing it down. They do.
1: So every conference has their own guidelines. Okay. And then if you're playing, so we'll play SMU next. SMU has to meet Conference USA guidelines and we have to meet American guidelines. Got it. Which are very similar, but not. there are some differences. Um, and so they'll send... Their conference office will send to us the requirements and then we'll si- send back a signed affidavit saying that um we've met those and they'll do the other <laughs> wow um we have to upload our test results every week into a shared folder at the conference office yeah. so that everybody can see not the students names because there's there's FERPA protected yeah, but they can they, right. they yeah. get to see that we've uh, that we've conducted our tests and submitted our results yeah um so uh it, it's you know it's very much uh um, uh, you know, everybody having to have a checks and balances. And so, uh, it's, it's pretty
0: interesting. Man's how much, um, uh, I guess how much additional time and effort, I mean, we talked about the money side of it, but I mean, this is adding a whole new dimension of protocol that you've got to get done. That's now prioritized, uh, How much is this adding to the workload of just, like, getting on the field?
1: A lot. Um, You know, I think for our student athletes and coaches, it's kind of back to normal for them, Um, you know. uh, But for our staff, you talk about our athletic trainers, for instance. I mean, they've taken on – they screen everybody who walks in our building. So temperature screening, do you have symptoms? You know, make sure you have to make sure they wear a mask. Everybody – if you were to walk in today, you and I, if we had done this at my office – you would have to get screened and get a wristband to be able to walk around the building, um, and so uh, they're doing that. They're doing the, the testing, which is hundreds of tests a week. Uh, and this is addition. You know, we we already run a pretty lean staff. We probably have, um, ha, you know, half the people that Texas Tech have, and a third of what they have at Texas. And so, mm. um, you know, we've put a lot on those people. Uh, our game operations people. I mean, you. I was. Uh, we had a zoom senior staff meeting this morning and everybody kind of looks like zombies. Uh, and so I told him, <laughs> I said, Hey, you guys get your work done and, and try and take a long weekend on Friday. Um, we were, cause we were downloading things that need to be fixed after this last, uh, after our first home game with Houston Baptist before SMU. Um, but we definitely have some people that are worn out. Um, but you know, but I think our staff is committed to providing opportunities for our student athletes, so that's what drives them. Yeah. And uh, so when you know that, uh, it made Saturday very fun and very worthwhile. And uh, you know, you had a few few hours there where you're on the field and everything's normal and feels like uh, like we're back
0: to March again. It's a great game too.
1: It was. We played well, especially offensively, defensively. We've got a few things to clean up, but we played a lot of guys and. Certainly held back some from a scheme perspective, just because we we thought that was a game we were going to win, and we knew we had SMU coming up. So I'm excited about our team. I think we have a team that's going to um, exceed expectations. Which the last few years we've been we've been the team that people are hunting down. I mean, we you know last year we were predicted to win the league. That you had a target on that. your back last yeah, year. That's what yeah. it felt like. <laughs> and uh, and so it's 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 more fun, and and you're more relaxed uh, when you're the. Uh, coming you're hunting from behind in the front of the pack so
0: what's well, kind of a younger team now and uh, some of the seniors moved on what what's what's kind of the thing to be excited about the team right now as far as uh, the makeup of the, the the players
1: i think we just have a ton of speed and athleticism um you know we still uh don't we're not going to overwhelm people with our size uh but i think um our running backs our wide receivers uh those are some really really uh fun exciting explosive uh kids to watch play uh so i think offensively i mean it's one of those uh, and we've had this the last few years but on any given uh play uh we could we could take it to the house because we do have a lot of explosiveness
0: that's awesome so smu is next what what, what are the uh what are the other big games to watch for this year
1: well, we go to Houston. Uh, that'll be another uh, big in-state game, non-conference game. Uh, Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss, those are two relatively close opponents. That it, That's always an intense uh, game. Um, we have uh, UTEP, I believe, is coming uh, to our place, I want to say. Uh, and so uh, that, that'll be another uh, good game. Uh, UTSA is always a that's always a, a big-time, uh, intense uh, game. So it's it's really a good schedule and, and uh, one that is going to provide some challenges and some opportunities. Uh, but we're just excited at this point to be able to have those. So how many years have you been
0: an athletic director? <laughs> That's another good question. Uh, so I've been <laughs> in
1: athletics, uh, college athletics, uh, since 2000. So okay. about 20, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, started as a G.A. at Oklahoma State. What's uh, that? Uh, graduate assistant okay. coach for Eddie Sutton, who was a Hall of Fame coach at Oklahoma oh, State, cool. basketball Oh, yeah. Coach. Okay. I know that. And um, then uh, spent, left that job and spent a year in the public schools as a principal and athletic director. Okay. Uh, and then went from there to Roger State University. I was an AD there for four and a half years, so that would have put in me uh, as a college AD, four and a half, went to Northwest Missouri State for two and a half as an AD. That's... Both those are division two schools. So that was seven. Then I was deputy AD at Memphis and Missouri, which is second in command in the department, but it was a division is my first division one break opportunity. So okay. I was uh, I was in those two jobs for a total of about four years. And then I've been at North Texas um, for four years as the AD. So about eleven of those twenty years have, have been as an A D.
0: So when do you decide I want to be an athletic director? Like when do you get the passion to do something like that is it when you're a kid or i mean you obviously you probably played sports growing up or i mean how do you get into that
1: yeah i did play sports growing up but i actually went to college on an academic scholarship i i got uh and i a full ride to southeastern oklahoma state which is a small division two um, in duran oklahoma um i grew up in a town of 800 in southeastern oklahoma <laughs> uh first generation college student yeah. um and uh you know, I didn't know what an athletic director at the college level was. I knew what you know, high school athletic director was, but um, so it wasn't until uh, I was majoring in computer science because I graduated high school in '96. So, um, how old are you? You probably you're younger than that me. That was sir. a class of '97, actually. Okay, yeah. yeah. So Y two K was going to be like yeah. worse than. Covid 19 you know that was going <laughs> to shut us down and so um i was yeah. a computer science major and i was it's thinking a good time to get into it it I mean, was yeah. i was like uh this is great and what happened is there's a program i don't even know if it's still active but COBOL, and it it was it whipped my butt pretty good and i was like do i really want to sit in front of this computer screen frustrated every day for hours so ended up changing my major education i was just going to teach and coach in the public schools okay and um Went from, uh, there, uh, became a student assistant coach at Southeastern, uh, and then decided I wanted to get my master's lucked into the job at Oklahoma state. And that was where I thought, man, college athletics is, is, is a really neat career to be in. But even after four years at Oklahoma state, Heather and I got married and that's when I moved back to my hometown and was the principal in AD back in Valiant, a 3A school in Oklahoma. And, um, got a call out of the blue to go and start athletics at roger state so uh, i was the first ad first head basketball coach well, how'd you make history. that connection
0: how did they just call Ren baker out of the blue so he hey,
1: called four yeah. people and three of them i would have listed on my reference list one of them was coach sutton who was a big name in the okay state. gotcha the president at roger state knew the uh, basketball coach at southeastern really well and that you know I'd, i had uh, been at southeastern and he recommended me and then uh, when I was at Oklahoma State, there was a gentleman who would come and observe games, and he would rate the referees, uh, and uh, must not have done, rate them very well, because he never got, referees never get any better, <laughs> uh, but, um, and he happened to be commissioner of this little uh, conference in Oklahoma that Roger State wanted to get in, so the president called him as well, just to kind of build a relationship, because, hey, we're going to start a program, we'd love to be in your conference and he given my name so unbeknownst to me three people that's why i tell people all the time really it's true you don't ever know when you're making uh, a, a relationship or a connection that can help you yeah um and so the president called and said hey you know my name's joe wiley i'm starting an athletic program at roger state university it's the fastest growing oklahoma a state a university in the state of oklahoma I've talked to four people, three of them. Yours was the first name they gave me. Would you come visit with me? And I wasn't qualified for the job. I know he would have had better applicants. I have no idea how he could justify hiring me. Um, wasn't connected politically or anything like that. Didn't know any of their donors. Uh, but I went out and visited with him. He offered me the job.
0: Man, what a foot in the door. 27 I mean, years old. That's crazy. Yeah, so, so you had to build that from scratch.
1: From scratch, which you would assume is a more difficult task but what i would tell you now is is actually one of the easier jobs i've ever had because i hired everybody so they were there was no recruiting people to the vision yeah. everybody i hired believed in me and believed in where we were taking the program believed in the vision that we laid out um and so as i moved on in my career and stepped into established universities and had to overcome all of that <laughs> stuff you know yeah. you learned uh that actually it was easier to start from scratch
0: Man, that's man, that is wild. So where'd you go from Rogers?
1: So I was at Rogers State for four and a half years, uh two as the basketball coach, and then uh, stayed on. Uh, we, we got big enough that they said you can pick one of these two jobs and um we won't cut your pay. and so mm-hmm. I chose the a d route even though I liked coaching, uh, yeah. and so I was there two years, one season. I had one season to help recruit and put and get a team put together um and we were 20 and 11 first year ever so i mean i you know it was a successful year but i just felt more comfortable and confident as an as an athletic director
0: why is that i don't know you know maybe
1: because i didn't play college basketball a second you know it was just i felt like i always was second guessing (laughs) myself you're winging it as a coach yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and i knew the game i mean and and, but i just i just never felt that peace about it um you know, it's it go back to uh, finding your purpose, and I think um, I just felt more comfortable that my purpose was was in athletic uh, director position. So,
0: um, is it less nerve wracking than being a coach? Because you know, you see these coaches throwing chairs on the on the court. <laughs> Get, <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it is <laughs> acutely. Yeah, but cumulative stress. Because now you're not just responsible for one team. Yeah, Yeah, everything. (laughs) All of them, you know. And so, um, you know, I tell people all the time when you have two, you know, 150 employees and and over 300 uh, young people under you that are between the ages of 18 and 23, I go to sleep every night over a bunch of uh, dormant volcanoes and any of them could (laughs) erupt at at any time. Uh, And so, um, but I, I definitely just felt more comfortable. so. Uh, so I, I was at Roger state for four and a half years before I went on to Northwest Missouri state as the AD, which is a big time division two program. Mm-hmm. Man.
0: So, so when did you get the call to get to UNT you got here in
1: 2019,
0: 2016, 2016? Yeah. Um, July of
1: so I, I was the deputy AD at the university of Missouri in yeah. Columbia SCC school. Um, and, uh, I had been there a little over a year and, uh, the AD, who uh, was a very good friend of mine um, had told me when he hired me he needed me there at least two years and really three, and so this job came open and and my wife grew up an hour and a half from here I grew up maybe three hours from here so I immediately felt like this was a job that would fit me it had a uh, very high ceiling felt like I, I you know everything I heard about it was positive so. Uh, the search firm that the university hired, uh, they reached out to me and said, hey, we've got the North Texas search. We haven't sat with them yet to hear about candidates, but we think just what we're looking at, you'd be good at this one. I said, well, I think I'd be good at <laughs> <for> that <laughs> one too. But, uh, I, but my boss told me I had to be here at least two, if not three years. So I went to talk to uh, to uh, him and he said, uh, I'm not going to play the loyalty and friend card, but you know what I told you I expected. And so... I called the search firm back and said, listen, if you get on down this process and you feel like I'm one of two or three really strong candidates, but I can't use up my equity here uh, with a mm. guy that give me an opportunity. Well, the guy, the gentleman's name is Mac Rhodes, who's now the AD at Baylor. Mm. So like a few weeks later, he gets an, an incredible offer to go uh, to Baylor, kind of straighten out their situation. And so uh, he does that. uh and uh, that they made me the interim ad at missouri so um and uh, then that freed me up to come to come after the north texas job and so i did come after it aggressively after that and um had a chance to sit down with president smatris brent ryan who's chairman of the board of regents um and uh they also had a had a supporter that was involved in the interview as well and um just really could see and sense their commitment and belief in what the what this athletic program can be
0: what what was that interview like what was a uh what was the process like to get you here i mean it was the interview and then kind of when did you find out and like what was it like getting here
1: yeah so i flew in uh to uh to dallas and um met it was kind of a very confidential quiet process because i'm i'm the interim ad at an sec school and they're telling me they want me to stay and i'm gonna be considered for the job yeah and so come in and met with them uh flew home i'll never forget that day because it was on the way home uh it was like the first major outage southwest airlines their entire computer system crashed (laughs) I don't know if you if you remember that's happened to them a couple of times now but like they couldn't pull anything up all flights around the country were delayed oh man and so um flew home when i got home i had a call from the search firm they said the interview went really well um we're gonna be surprised they don't offer you the job but it might be tomorrow so um you know, because by the time you get to that process, when you use a search firm, like they've done all the reference checks, they've done all the background. Right. You they're know, pretty close they're, to yes, pulling the trigger. Yeah. yeah. They've seen your your full resume. They've vetted all that out. So it's really just kind of, is there a connection here? Yeah. And so um, the next day, uh, at some point, President Smatris called and, and offered me the job. Uh, I took one day to kind of think through and consider it and really i knew i was going to take it it was just more how am i going to tell mizzou uh that, oh, I'm, yeah, that I'm leaving yeah, yeah. um and so took a took a little bit of time to process that and uh, then uh that was sometime maybe early to eh, it's probably mid-july and then i started the first week of august
0: why do you think they picked you what was it about Ren baker
1: I don't know. Um, you know, I'd probably have to go ask <laughs> and ask the president. I I, th- I think I was able to clearly articulate where I thought the gaps were. You know that there were a lot of pieces here, but just in the research I'd done, where I really felt like we could fill in gaps and be comprehensive uh, comprehensively excellent. Um, you know, North Texas history is will be pretty good in some sports, but it's followed by peaks and valleys and. Um, and, uh, you know, I talked a lot about the importance of all of the things that go into sports, not just having a good coach and a good facility, but nutrition, strength and condition, sports medicine, you know, mm. all, all of those things that go into building the total student athlete, the total person. And so, um, I think that was very helpful. Um, Neil, uh, I think he really liked, uh, that, uh. The term he uses is that he, I'd been head cook and head bottle washer. Uh, He liked that I'd been at all these different levels, seen athletics from an SEC school with all of the best resources all the way down to an NAI school that didn't have anything. Um, And I think the last thing was just I felt like a personality fit. You know, uh, even I'm from Oklahoma, but uh, have a very Texas feel. It's close. uh, You know, from a personality standpoint. So I think, I think all of those probably played into it um you know and uh i'm glad that they saw something they like to know
0: that (laughs) so the the city of denton was it a step up or a step down from where you came from
1: (laughs) it was uh, it's a softball question yeah i mean (laughs) I, i think denton is such a neat place uh, and I loved Columbia, Missouri, and my wife and I have lived in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. Oh, Memphis is uh, great. We love yeah, Memphis. It's pretty uh, out there. Yeah, that was our first city to live in that had any diversity, and we didn't know what to expect, and we fell in love with it. Um, I'm not so sure we wouldn't consider retiring there. Um, and uh, but but I tell people all the time that uh, Denton is just such a neat place with, you know, the un- two universities. Uh, it's a very diverse. Uh, community very eclectic community very artsy there's just um you know you get texas values family values uh you get to live in in the dfw metroplex but you have your own sense of community and it's a community that that offers just about everything that you could hope to offer Mm. and uh we we've become huge huge fans of uh of denton and uh, my family has has loved it here. They're they're uh, mean green uh, and they're and they're denting through and through, and uh, we've really enjoyed our time here.
0: So part of your job is uh, marketing and promoting the the program, um, and I think you've connected really well with the city. I mean, you came in and like did some things early on that were awesome. One of the things I, that I really want to talk about, I think we we've talked about this before at Tailgate is the uh the legendary Von Erichs wrestling event uh in the twenty eighteen season opener against SMU. what were you thinking?
1: When I was at Memphis, um they were doing some very creative promotions including uh they once or twice a year they would do some around wrestling um but they were doing i remember the clippers were coming into town one time and the clippers had a reputation for flopping uh flopping <laughs> is falling out uh in basketball and pretend like you got fouled when you really didn't Okay get yeah and you know in sports where there's such a huge expectation on sportsmanship you know that you carry yourself with class and i and i get that but and I just remember that they were selling the place out every night and it was rocking. Clippers were coming into town and they gave away flip-flops to the first 1,000 <laughs> fans. And I was like, dang, like this is, you know, I yeah. mean, this is before. God's uh, fire. You know, yeah. And so <laughs> I just really started paying close attention to their promotions. And at some point I went and sat down and talked to them. And I said, hey, where do you guys come up with some of this stuff you dream up? I mean, like they had uh, – one of theirs was playing uh, basketball at halftime against the Memphis Ribs, and they had two really athletic guys dressed as Memphis Ribs, which Memphis is known for barbecue. And like the ribs were undefeated against all these like <laughs> you know fans <laughs> from the crowd. And uh, and so it was just like stuff that no one would ever dream of. And I and I said, so what do you, where, what makes you guys think of these? And they said, you know what, you're not going to believe this, but Memphis is a city with a great wrestling history. And so we kind of think, what would the WWE do? Yeah, You know, how would Vince McMahon promote these games? (laughs) Well,
0: it's entertainment, you know, at at the core of it. No doubt. That's what sports is. Yeah.
1: And so um, that was always in the back of my mind. Yeah. And so when we came here, uh, fast forward. So I grew up, as I mentioned, three hours from here. And uh, I grew up in the country. We didn't have cable TV. And uh, back then, uh, no one really in that area had cable TV very wealthy people or i thought they were wealthy had could have satellite tv (laughs) the big huge satellites you had to go outside to turn it and um so we got two channels at my house and uh one of them was ktal out of shreveport and they showed wrestling every saturday morning so you would have a handful of college sports that would come on across here but it wasn't now where you've got five games to choose from on us you know at any time on a saturday there were maybe 10 to 12 college games it felt like a year and um uh, so we ended up um our our sports heroes were kind of wrestling yeah you know and and we loved the von eric's so uh we're here my first year we go to army and um we we uh play a game at Army. Um, and win. It was a game that we were not predicted to win. And uh, I'm on the sideline. My phone rings. I answer it, and it's Kevin Von Eric. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Hey, he was like, I, you know, I got your number from somebody. I just wanted to tell you and Seth like we watched from Hawaii, and we were so fired up. That was a great game. And I was like, I could have gotten a call from anybody." You know Michael Jordan, and it wouldn't (laughs) be as big of a deal to me. I was like, I grew up wanting to be a Von Eric, yeah, totally, yeah. And so, um, really, out of that, uh, I stayed in contact with him some, and eventually, kind of come up with the idea of being the first college football game ever to feature pro wrestling and bringing the Von Erics home uh, during that. And uh, it was a lot of fun. That was one of those that turned out good. We set a record crowd that night, and. Um, had a, several thousand that stayed for the wrestling event afterwards, and yeah, and uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, got to a... live out a childhood dream. I actually got in the ring there for a second. And so <laughs> Did didn't perform any oh, wow. moves or anything, but I was in the ring with Devon Eric.
0: So man, that's awesome. Anything like that even possible this year? Uh, any cool promotions? Or, <laughs> it's
1: not just because you know for us it does have to have an ROI. So we could pencil that. Um, we had a certain code when we that we sold tickets under. Uh, When we would promote the wrestling part, yeah, and so we spent about twenty five grand, and we sold about thirty grand in tickets. So we knew it penciled. Plus, they're going to buy concessions and parking and all that stuff. And so when you're capped at twenty five percent capacity, yeah, uh, Yeah. and your and your revenues are way down, and your expenses are through the roof, uh, you just can't afford to spend money on those kind of promotions when there's not an ROI, yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll get through this year, and we're going to uh, be ready to go uh, next year, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with it. So,
0: Speaking of ROI, uh, almost 600 million have seen the play that broke the Internet. <laughs> Incredible play, Keegan Brewer faking a fair catch against the Razorbacks and bolting down the left sideline to score. Tell me, tell me some background on that. How does a play like that come about and get pulled off in such a – Critical and awesome moment for the team. Because that that's huge. Yeah. That's massive. I mean, I tell people You, you can't I, pay for that. I actually
1: you know? went down to coach's office earlier that week and drew that up for him <laughs> and said, you know, I think you should run this. Uh that's just good athletic direction. Yeah, you know of course. I mean? Yeah, this
0: is what I would do. It's uh <laughs> no, I Clearly. mean, I
1: think that's one that um that that play has been around a little bit. It's not the very first time it's ever been run um it just doesn't get run very often well, yeah I, you can't run yeah it and way. i think <laughs> um we had been practicing it for several months yeah um thinking there might be a good time for this um you know the the game situation has to be just right the the uh, score would have to be just right the the uh, field position would have to be just right there had to be a lot of things kind of in play there and um but they knew they were going to run it they they uh, in the pregame conference the refs go and see each team in the pre-game conference they said just so we're clear and you guys will be ready because you know refs have instincts too um it's a live ball as long as he doesn't wave his hand yeah gotcha. that, you know, yeah that's correct
0: you know and so um that's crazy i didn't know it like gets done into that level of detail yeah. like you gotta they had the
1: refs, you know yeah. prepped um oh wow. And so uh it was unbelievable execution. Great job by Coach Luttrell and his staff. Great job uh by Marty Biaggi, who was our special teams coordinator. He got hired away last year to go to Purdue. Yeah. And certainly Keegan uh uh did an unbelievable job. Keegan's now yeah. I think maybe it's Flower Mound, but certainly it's in the Metroplex. He's a fireman. Uh oh, and wow, so yeah. I'm sure he gets to you know, they they
0: probably talk about that in the firehouse uh at least once a week. It's but. insane, like just imagining like not waving it and standing there like you did, like not even ready to take a hit. That's gotta. That takes some bravery. It did. It
1: takes. <laughs> it took some trust and courage, and um, not just everybody could pull that off. Because yeah. obviously, Arkansas is an SEC team with some really big players that are barreling down at Holy. you. Uh, and it's incredible. Uh, he did a hell, he he did a heck of a job uh, selling it.
0: Man, I think Obama retweeted it, if I remember correctly oh that's, really that's actually how I, somebody retweeted obama retweeting i was like you got to be kidding me that's He's awesome saying, yeah it's huge um so last uh, year you hosted at unt the collegiate athletics leadership symposium uh t- tell me a little bit about that and how how that came together for you that's pretty cool
1: yeah another small uh, world story so uh, will reese who founded that symposium um was a high school uh, basketball coach in oklahoma when i was a ga at uh, oklahoma <laughs> state and uh, he would come work our camps in the summer um and i got to know him a little bit uh fast forward he ended up getting out of coaching um he he's a sports agent represents uh, some basketball coaches um in the country uh but uh he also does this um symposium that's really a professional development opportunity. And, um, it's become the second biggest deal in our industry behind the, just the annual convention and, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people go to it. And, uh, so I would always give him a hard time about, no matter where I was about, you need to let me host. And, you know, I'd been at places, um, I think the only non-Power Five it had ever been to was Memphis. Uh, And they held it in the Peabody there, which has its own brand and reputation. But it had been at Maryland, North Carolina, and Chapel Hill, uh, University of Oklahoma, the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, um, University of Tulsa, and uh, University of Memphis. And um, I would just give them a hard time all the time about letting me host it in Denton. And... um, so finally, uh, we had the new indoor coming. The new Renaissance got built, and I'm like, "Let me host this for." You. I said, "I will make it the most profitable one you've ever hosted." You yeah. know, I was like,
0: "We'll we'll take care of it." So we so are so you saying the uh, um, our convention hotel center br- br- was part of kind of what made that possible? It, it
1: definitely was.
0: And uh, that's if, fascinating. It, yeah, if yeah. it
1: wasn't here, it wouldn't have come. Yeah, uh, and if and if we hadn't built the momentum, we have in the athletic department couldn't come, but we're kind of seeing nationally right now is a program that's doing a lot of things right. And a program on the rise. I mean, a couple of national stories have, have said we're the next UCF. Um, obviously university of central Florida has made a lot of progress in athletics. So I think he was able to couple that with an unbelievable hotel, uh, when it was at OU and Norman, they had it at uh, the Renaissance there. And so, uh, and I, and I'll give the, uh, Uh, renaissance here credit they were very aggressive uh, in going after the business and and in their price point and everything and so uh, we were able to get it here and it brought five or six hundred of the leading administrators including probably 50 power five ad's uh, in a denton and everybody was blown away by the hotel by our campus by the indoor practice facility yeah Um, georgia had just built one and their deputy ad so their second command uh, says, hey, this one's nicer than the one we built. Uh, and I said, we well, better not tell your coach, <laughs> coach that or you'll build another one. But uh, I think it gave people a glimpse and a chance uh, to see Denton in a different light. And uh, we were very honored to host it.
0: So what goes on at something like that? You got all these people from across uh, the nation coming here to talk about uh, talk about what, really?
1: Well, th- what they'll do every year is they set an agenda um, and they'll put bring different topics. And those topics will change from year to year. Like right now, Uh, name image and likeness would be one you know how to recover from the COVID budget would be one you know um, all of those things and so uh, and there there's going to have another one here I think it's in mid to late October so um, you know basically once he has the agenda he'll plug in faculty some of the leading athletic directors from around the country will um, will plug into there and They'll just sit on a panel and and do a and A, not unlike what we're doing uh, here. Except for there'd be three or four of them. The audience can ask questions, um, mm. and then there's some break breakups in the smaller groups to facilitate conversation. Most of it is about industry best practices, yeah. Issues, critical issues facing the industry, but there's also a career development piece of it. There's, there's the search firms will be there. They'll give advice, answer questions. Um, you know, people like me will talk about what the process, just like you and I just did, what the process looked like at, at North Texas and how I handled that while I was uh, sitting as an interim AD. And so it's just a great opportunity to learn and share ideas.
0: Yeah. And it also sounds like a great opportunity to show off the program that you've built here. I mean, that's awesome.
1: It, it was a tremendous opportunity. When you look ahead at things like, um, conference uh realignment and stuff like that people understanding all of the assets that we have at UNT uh and also in the Denton community uh that's really important and really critical so I think it was a uh, it was a great opportunity for us to
0: show people what we're about you're an incredibly networked person from what I can tell every every job that you've had has been you knew someone who knew someone who knew someone you're getting recommended Do do you think about that intentionally? Is that something you kind of recognized as uh, something important in your career path early on? I think that I'm.
1: uh, I do think I'm perceived to have this very developed uh, network, Um, but I've never been a guy who can just camp out at the lobby at an event and meet a bunch of people. I'm not. uh, I'm not comfortable in that scene, and so what I have tried to do. Is in and to this day. If my wife and I go on vacation somewhere, if we're anywhere near a college uh, that has athletics, I'll try to go and visit the campus and learn, meet everybody there, learn, ask the AD questions. But one, I'm just naturally curious. And I want to get better. Um, but two, that's a good way to develop a meaningful relationship not somebody that you know handed you a business card in the lobby somewhere Yeah,
0: people can smell that desperation they can and and and
1: now that i'm an ad i see it even more so because i've I've went from what you know trying to build those networks to people that that try to network with me and i'm just like man i'm just trying to get to my room (laughs) like please no one else stop me here yeah yeah Um, i totally get that and so um I think that's the thing that I've always uh, been able to do is uh, make those meaningful relationships and yeah. people genuinely believe, but uh, and, and they believe it because it's true that I, I just want to learn and, uh, and try and uh, grow and develop. And, and uh, I hope I always continue to do that. And I, I learn every day, even from our staff, even the younger ones. Um, and, uh, I think as long as you kind of keep that attitude, you just continue to make new connections. And so I may not have as many people in my network as some people, but I feel like everybody uh, that I would consider to be in my network, I have a close personal relationship with.
0: Yeah. Um, So uh, this is something, you know, I came from the music world, and that's why I can like really relate with your networking is because I developed a big network precisely the same way just by being very curious about people. That's what this is actually. I'm, yeah. I'm curious about people's stories. I get every week I get to get people in here and he, hear what makes them tick. And that connects me, you know, it's, it's really interesting, but coming from the music world, coming from the mu- music, industry, industries, a promoter, uh, dealt with a lot of, um, bands and contracts, again, paying bands and, and all that sort of thing. There's a side of the artsy side of Denton uh, needs to be convinced why uh, a robust athletic uh, program at UNT is important for the the health of a city. Um, what what argument would you give people who could really care less about sports uh, as far as that goes? As far as and it's actually pretty important for the economic development of the city you know, kind of talk about that for a little bit.
1: Yeah. What I always try to tell people is athletics is by no means the most important thing that a community or a campus does. Um, But athletics is the best tool that's available to bring attention, bring awareness, and put a bright spotlight on uh, all of the great things that go on. So you talk about UNT has a world-class school of music. We have a lot of those students sing the national anthem at basketball. The band plays the national anthem, the Green Brigade, at football. Yeah.
0: They do their halftime performances. The basketball pet band is incredible. They, they, they do an like, unbelievable on, job.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we try to highlight different programs, different faculty, uh, do faculty spotlights. Um Our primary role is to brand uh, the university and advance the mission and integrity of the institution. And that's, that's what we're here to do. Um, and, and if we do that for the university, we're doing that for the community. Yes. If we're bringing 30,000 people to Apogee stadium, that's good for business. Um, John Williams is one of our biggest supporters and, you know, he owns uh, several places here in town. Um, and I think he understands that he buys he he has more season tickets in his account than anybody, yeah. um, because I think he understands uh, what that what that can mean. And so, um, I you know I I know I understand sometimes there's that friction between academia, um, visual and performing arts and athletics. But what I would say is that uh, if athletics is is doing our job right. Um, we should be enhancing those things uh not 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 taken away from. And uh, I think we've done a lot of that uh, here at North Texas the last few years and and hopefully we'll continue to to do that. I always ask people, um, you know it, it, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, where do you think they rank academically compared to UNT? And a lot of people that aren't connected would assume those two institutions are ranked higher and uh, by just about any objective metric uh, we're all very similar uh, i think that some of the success they've had in athletics probably lends people to believe hmm. uh, that 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 reflects quality as an institution and so uh, that's our job is to reflect the quality that the institution possesses and and uh, that's the primary focus of what what we try to do um, and uh, hopefully we're doing a a, be, a good job of that but we we have every intention to continue to do better job.
0: Yeah. And it clicked for me. Hank Dickinson years ago gave me the tour of Apogee and I was like, I've seen it. I know like I've seen the stadium, not a big deal, but finally he got me over there and he, he walked me up and I mean, he just cast this vision and you know, he's such a community guy. Yep. He just cast this vision of the, the facility and like this synergy that could happen between the town and, and UNT and, and it all kind of accumulated around, uh, the football program and what happens at the football games and the tailgates. And, you know, we talked about John Williams and uh, little guys movers and, you know, how everyone's just part of this big green machine, you know? Um, and, Man, he's the one who really was the ambassador for me personally to get me up there and sh- just show me the power, uh, that is right our, at our doorstep. You know, yeah. like, don't, don't think this isn't a big deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he's been awesome. So I gotta, I gotta ask you a question about Hank, uh, that I've have written written down here. uh, uh has Hank been an older wise shepherd of the flock or just a dried up has been in the college athletic world?
1: No, Hank's not. He he's not trying to throw him under the the bus. He's he's definitely been the wise (laughs) shepherd. I mean, um, I always tell people uh, anytime you have a leadership change like uh, like North Texas had, everybody is nervous uh, about what that means for them. And uh, I told our staff when I came here, and and I meant it. I won't make the decision on who stays and who goes. You will because if you if you show if you show that you're a valuable employee. There's nothing more important than people. And yeah. if you have good people, I really don't care the order they got here, if they were here before me or after me, that makes me no difference. I need good people to have success. And uh, so Hank has done a great job for us. Um, he has, you know, we've come in and um, there's a lot of things that we changed uh, a lot of things we we enhanced or kept the same, but Hank's always provided the pers- the perspective from a very, uh, I you know I want to be an asset and helpful uh, kind of way of here's historically how we got to to this point and um, he's been a big asset for for us and uh, certainly as somebody who everybody in the community knows and identifies with and um, he's done a good job um, even helping me get engaged uh, in the community and meeting a lot of the right people so um, you know I, I think uh, Hanks done a great job for us
0: yeah he brings some institutional memory uh to the organization that otherwise you're kind of starting from scratch if you wipe the slate clean i guess right
1: yeah he's the only employee at the university that's been there over 100 years so it's a (laughs) lot of it's a lot of history there man that's kind of an ongoing joke in our department so
0: (laughs) it's not not false either (laughs) Uh, we'll, we'll we'll
1: see a picture that comes through from like a game in 1920 and everybody be like hank how was that game
0: completely oh. verified by yeah. by the internet in fact right here yeah one of my favorite things is you know i don't get to make many games uh but i love him and dave barnett calling games i love the radio i love imagining watching the game through the the radio and i mean his broadcasts are just incredible i've really enjoyed them and he was he was an early uh Interviewee on the podcast. I think he's episode number seven. I believe
1: so. He's he's been. He, great. he takes great pride in it. In fact, <laughs> yeah. occasionally,
0: we'll have a game that's
1: going to be on TV, and I'll tweet or something because uh, I'm fairly active on Twitter, and I'll say, "Make sure you tune in, watch the game uh, on ESPN." And Hank will almost always reply. And listen to, you know, me and Dave on the broadcast turn off the volume. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he takes great offense if I don't include that, but he makes sure to include it. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Wren Baker, just first and last name, W-R-E-N-B-A-K-E-R. That's easy.
0: Well, Wren, thank you so much for coming in, man. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I'm excited about UNT Athletics right now.
1: It's, uh, it's in a great place. And yeah, I tell you what, the university's leadership's tremendous. Um, we're gonna, uh, see enrollment growth even despite the pandemic. It's will be announced in the next few days, but I suspect we hit 40 and passed it. Uh, I'm probably not authorized to say that. So I'll just say my suspicions are, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting times in the Denton community and certainly at the university of North Texas. And I appreciate everything you do to, to uh, bring awareness to all things Denton and uh, appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. There you have it. Rin Baker. Awesome dude. Love chatting with him. Got some inside information there at the end. Appreciate that. Uh, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening.